Tonight I want you to turn in your Bibles with me, if you can see them, to Luke chapter 1. If not, you can get your phone out and look on that. Luke chapter 1, and we'll begin reading in verse number 5. Luke chapter 1 and verse number 5. It's always a joy to read the Christmas story. And uh, in this passage, we have, we'll look at a few verses a little bit later on in chapter 2. Verse number 5, it says, There was in the days of Herod, the king of, the Ju- of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias, the course of Abiah, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. Wouldn't that be wonderful to have that kind of a testimony? They were blameless, and that's what the Lord said. And they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they both were well stricken in years. And it came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of incense. And there appeared unto him an angel, the Lord, standing on the right hand, right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias. Almost every time an angel appears to somebody in the Bible, he always says those two words, Fear not. God doesn't want us to fear, and this was a message he didn't want them to fear. So he said, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. And he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall turn to to their Lord, their God. And he shall go before him in the spirit of the power of Elias, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient of the... Uh, to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zechariah said unto the angel, Whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife well stricken in years. And the angel answering said unto him, I am Gabriel, that stand in the presence of God, and am sent to speak unto thee, and to show thee these glad tidings. Behold, thou shalt be dumb, Some of us would qualify for that part, wouldn't we? Thou shalt be dumb and not able to speak until the day that these things shall be performed, because thou believest not my words, which shall be fulfilled in their season. And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he tarried so long in the temple. And when he came out, he could not speak unto them, and they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned unto them and remained speechless. And it came to pass, as soon as the days of his ministration were accomplished, he departed to go to his own house. And after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and hid herself five months, saying, Thus hath the Lord dealt with me in the days wherein he looked on me to take away my reproach among men. 
And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at the saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. Behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For with God nothing is impossible. And Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to, the, to thy word. And the angel departed from her. And Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste into a city of Judah, and entered into the house of Zacharias and saluted Elizabeth. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. She spake out with a loud voice and said, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And whence is this to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For lo, as soon as the voice of the salutation sounded in mine ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she that believed, for there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my salvation. For he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaid, for behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. Christmas is celebrated all across the country and literally around the world. And for many years there's been a focus on three wise men. However, tonight I want us to look at that a little bit differently. And I want us to look at the role of three wise women. Now, I know some of you, you're amazed. Some of you are laughing already. You knew what I'm going to say. <laughs> you're amazed that there were three wise women. There were many wise women throughout Scripture. The first is a woman by the name of Elizabeth. If we could hear her story tonight, perhaps we'd hear her say, when I was a teenager, all I wanted to do was have a family and serve God. When my marriage to Zacharias was arranged, I was thrilled. Both of my dreams were about to be fulfilled. Zacharias was a godly man. He was a priest. Together we would serve God. When our children came, and the more the better, my life would be complete. 
It never occurred to us that we might not have children. So when I did not become pregnant right away, we realized that we hadn't been praying for children. How foolish to just assume. So every morning when we ate, we would hold hands across the table and eagerly ask God to give us our first child. And as the months passed, our, be, our prayers became more earnest. After a few years of deep disappointment and prayers, we became more passionate and pleading and insistent and even desperate. We confessed our sins. We bargained with God. We promised. We begged. But nothing happened except that our discouragement mounted and the ache of our hearts grew to the point where we thought we could not bear it. I remember very well the first morning when Zachariah did not ask God to give us a child. I was angry at him. I was angry at God. And for several months, I repeated my request as consistently as I had the years before. And finally, one day, my husband took my hand and said, as he looked into my eyes, Honey, we must face the truth. We're too old to have children now. Jehovah has chosen to leave us childless. We must accept his will. And Elizabeth, like the other two wise women that we're going to talk about this evening, was faithful in spite of great hardship. She was faithful in spite of, of great hardship. So I want you to think about this. Elizabeth was faithful through great disappointment. She had longed for a child and prayed for a child, and God did not give her a child. And that didn't turn her away from God. She still remained faithful to God. When we pray about things earnestly and long for them, and God doesn't answer our prayer right away, do we stay faithful to Him? Notice her disappointment. In verse number 5 of that chapter, it says there, it says, then... It says, there was in the days of Herod, the king of Judah, a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Abiah, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. And there had, they had no child, because that Elizabeth was barren, and they both were now well stricken in years. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was this great priest by the name of Zechariah. He was one that belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. And his wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron of the Aaronic priesthood line. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, choosing the Lord's commandments to follow and obey, the Bible says, blamelessly. But they had no children because, Scripture says, Elizabeth was barren. And now they're both well up in years. They haven't had these children. They have had no children up to this point. And so as we think about the disappointments, I think perhaps the first disappointment that she had to deal with was the disappointment of unfulfilled desires. She had some desires, but they were not fulfilled. I suspect that only those that have experienced the deep pain of childlessness can comprehend what a great disappointment this must have been for Zechariah and Elizabeth. The problem of infertility is more common than many of us could imagine. 
I did some research and found that one out of seven couples, 15% of Americans, deal with infertility. More than half a million people have logged into a website called Hannah's Prayer Ministry that deals with the pain of infertility. Many people struggle with that pain, not having children. And then, as now, people probably were very insensitive to Elizabeth and Zechariah and perhaps asked them rude questions that they did not even consider what they were saying. Things like, isn't it about time you had children? You know, especially the parents who want grandchildren, right? Or when are you going to start having a family? And sometimes those statements were like a knife that stabbed into their very hearts. Being around couples and babies and going through Mother's Day and Christmas time can be especially hard for those that deal with the sorrow of not having children, those who want to have children. There were other well-known Bible women who had the same situation. Sarah was one, Rachel was another, Hannah was another. But the pain of the first disappointment was aggravated by the pain of her second disappointment, and that was the disappointment of unanswered prayers. Not only was there the pain of not having the child, but now the pain of praying for years and God not answering her prayers. They did what all Christians do with their disappointments and problems. They prayed about them. And that's what we ought to do when we have problems and disappointments in our life. They asked God to give them a child. You say, how do you know that? Because when the angel Gabriel came to tell Zechariah that God was going to give them a child, in verse number 13, his opening line was, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son. The angel said, Your prayer is heard. We must never forget when we pray that our prayer is heard. Amen? Just because God doesn't answer it right away does not mean he does not hear it. Since they have long been too old to have children, wouldn't you guess that maybe they gave up on praying? Perhaps they said something like this, apparently God isn't going to answer our prayer. They must have thought it's been too long, we're getting too old, let's not keep torturing ourselves by asking over and over again. Infertility was disappointing enough, but then... When God didn't answer their passionate, persistent prayers for something that was good, they were disappointed. And so would you be, and some of us have been. We prayed for things, and God didn't answer. But Elizabeth had another disappointment. It was the disappointment of unrewarded righteousness. Look at verse number 6, if you would. It says, and they both... They were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. Wow, what an amazing couple and what an amazing testimony they had. Both of them did what was right, not only when everybody else was watching, but they did it all the time and God saw them all the time. They were righteous before God, walking in all of his commandments and the ordinances of the Lord. On top of that, Zacharias was a priest. And Elizabeth was from a priestly family, the Aaronic priesthood family. And not only did they serve the Lord for generations, but their families had served God for generations as well. If God wouldn't give this couple the good thing that they had longed for and prayed for, who could expect anything from God? 
Can't you imagine how sometimes Satan must have attacked them by witnessing, whispering into their ears something like, God certainly hasn't taken very good care of you, has he? What good has it done for you to obey God and live this good life? What good has it done for you to pray? If God won't answer your prayer, maybe God doesn't even exist. Has the devil ever whispered those kind of things in your ear? And make us wonder when he didn't answer our prayer, what's the use? Or when things didn't turn out exactly like we thought, why should I keep living for God? Why should I keep going to church? Why should I keep serving God? This is the age-old problem. Why do bad things happen to good people? God always has a reason. And we know Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. And even the bad things that happen in our life, God allows them to fulfill his purpose. He's doing something in our life or in the lives of others around us. God has a purpose. And that brings me to the next thing I want you to see, and that is her faithfulness. Her faithfulness. In verse number 6 and 7, it says, And they were both righteous before God. Verse 7, They had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they both were now well stricken in age. This is amazing. In spite of those heart-wrenching disappointments, Elizabeth did not get bitter, but she remained faithful to God. She went on day after day after day serving God and doing what was right. And that went on for years, and now they're well up in years, too old to have children as far as man was concerned. They were still faithful. And that's what God wants for each of us, to be faithful to God. Even though things may not turn out the way you thought they should, the way you wanted them to, you stay faithful to God, just like Zacharias and Elizabeth did. But then notice with me also her blessing. First of all, there was the blessing of the answer to her prayer. In verse number 13, it says, But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. Thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and, they shall be, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall turn to the Lord their God. The blessing. God did answer her prayer. She was faithful for years and years and years. And God answered her prayer. All those years she thought God was not listening. But he was. It just wasn't his time yet to answer that prayer. Elizabeth not only had a son in her old age, but her son became one of the greatest men that's ever lived on the earth. We know him as John the Baptist. But Elizabeth got another totally unique, one-of-a-kind blessing, and that is the ministry to her relative. God answered her prayer and gave her a son, but look over in verse 39, and it tells us the story. Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste, unto a city of Judea, and entered into the house of Zechariah, and saluted Elizabeth. It came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb. That's the babe Jesus in Mary's womb, leaped at the coming of Elizabeth. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. She spake out with a loud voice and said, Blessed art thou among women, blessed is the fruit of thy womb. 
Notice something that some people miss in that verse. It says, blessed art thou among women. Say to Mary, blessed art thou above women. He said, among women. And whence is, it, is this to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For lo, as soon as the voice of the salutation sounded in mine ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she that believed. That's talking about Mary. She believed. For there shall be performance of these things which were told her from the Lord. And Mary said, listen to what Mary said. My soul doth magnify the Lord. And my spirit hath rejoiced in God my, what? Savior. I don't need to tell you tonight, but Mary needed a Savior just like you and I do. And she said, that is God. Jesus is God, my Savior. There's only been one sinless person that ever lived, and that was the Lord Jesus Christ. Every other person is like you and me that is in need of a Savior. And Mary needed a Savior, and she recognized this was her Lord. This was God, my Savior. And so she had the privilege here of ministering to her relative, to Mary. She got to encourage her pregnant relative. It was in the midst of the most amazing, important pregnancy in all of history. She was carrying the God of the universe in her womb. And then notice her legacy. Sometimes God allows his children to live with suffering and disappointment their whole life. I know some people that have done that and gone through great disappointment and sickness and suffering. Sometimes God seems to ignore his children's prayers. Some of the greatest people that have ever lived are people who for nearly all of their lives never did anything out of the ordinary, but in the everyday routine of life were faithful to God. They lived a life of obedience that was pleasing to him. Sometimes the hardest part of the Christian life is just day after day after day being consistent and faithful and obedient to the Lord. Sometimes during our life on earth and sometimes not until heaven, God rewards our faithfulness, but he will reward us. Have you noticed that the people God uses mightily are almost always people who have suffered greatly? And that brings me to the second story in our message tonight. And that, of course, is of Mary. And Mary is the mother, of course, of our Lord, of our Savior. But Mary was faithful through great challenges. She was faithful through great challenges because she was the virgin mother of Jesus, the Son of God. We tend to think only of Mary's honor and of her blessings. We don't think sometimes of the struggles that she had. I want you to notice some of her challenges. In verse, again, in verse number 26, it says to us, and in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. 
He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Now I see with Mary five challenges that she had to deal with. First of all, there's the challenge of an impossible pregnancy. An impossible pregnancy. If your teenage daughter came home tonight and announced to you that she was pregnant and then told you she was still a virgin, she had had no sexual relationship with any man or any being, what would you think? You wouldn't believe her. Nobody would believe that. That's impossible. And that leads me to the second challenge that Mary had, and that is the challenge of a ruined reputation. Her reputation was trashed. She is now pregnant. She's not yet, not yet had physical relations, but she's with child, and she told them that the story of the angel, but many people didn't believe it. Nazareth was a small enough town that everybody heard about it. The gossip spread quickly. Everybody knew. People looked at her and Joseph and smiled knowingly. They seemed to be so righteous. They seemed to be such good Christians. They were so spiritual. Can you imagine how painful the false accusations must have been as they came to Mary and as she heard them? Perhaps that's why she left town and went to visit with her relative Elizabeth. The third challenge is the challenge of a honeymoon without physical relations. Now I'm assuming, as all of you would, that Joseph loved Mary, and Mary loved Joseph. Matthew 1.25 says that he knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son. I'm confident that couples who have saved sexual intimacy for marriage, as the Bible tells us that we ought to, look forward to and enjoy their honeymoon more than those who do not wait until marriage. And it must have been hard for Mary and Joseph to not have physical relationships until after the baby was born. So that's at least nine months that they had to wait. Mary also faced the challenge of a special child. This baby that is born, no one in the world ever had to raise a child like this one. There's no books that were written on how to raise the Son of God. Nobody could put their arm around Mary and say, Mary, I understand. Huh. To be a sinful parent, bringing up a sinless child, had to be frustrating at, the, at times. We all have corrected our children, but Mary never had to correct her son. And then with at least five half-brothers and sisters who also were not sinless, I can only guess the challenges and the dynamics of that type of a family. And then finally, notice the challenge of a broken heart. When Jesus was just a few days old, he was in the temple a few years old, 
Simon, at birth, a few days old, Simon said in Luke 2.35, Yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also. If you ever saw the passion of Christ, you can imagine some of the painful experiences that our Lord had to go through and what he suffered. But could I say this to you? Jesus suffered on the cross and shed his blood as full payment for our sins. There are those who teach a false doctrine that Mary, as she watched Jesus suffering on the cross, her suffering helped to pay for our sins. Now, I don't deny that she didn't suffer. And that was part of the challenge. She had to see her son crucified, nailed to an old rugged cross. She did suffer, but her suffering had nothing to do with our salvation. Jesus paid that price and took that suffering on herself, himself. And notice her surrender. In verse number 38, Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. She surrendered. In other words, she said, Lord, I surrender. Use me as you will. I choose your plan for my life. She surrendered her life to the Lord. Sometimes the greatest struggles that we have when we face disappointments and challenges and suffering in our life, is surrendering and say, God, I yield to your will and your plan for my life. And then notice her faithfulness. For the next 30 years, it simply meant that Mary was a good and godly mother. The daily routine of loving God by loving and training her children. And all of you who have raised or are raising children, I want to challenge you and remind you that the greatest way that you can love God is simply training your children to love God and living a godly life before them. And hers was a special child. You moms who have children know how exhausting and how draining it can be raising children. Mary had to deal with all of that as well. She was faithful in the daily routine of being a mother. My good friend Ron Hahn is pastor up in Marion, Indiana. He has nine children. And Ron has struggled through the years and had some difficulties in some of the churches that he pastored. But I told Ron many years ago, I said to Ron and Cindy, I said, I believe your greatest accomplishment in life is raising those nine children for God. And all of her Boys are in ministry, and all of their son, uh, daughters are either married to men in ministry or some way involved in ministry as well. Their faithfulness to the Lord. Faithful in the daily routine of being a mother. And then notice her reward. Every generation since Mary has called her blessed. Her role in God's great plan of salvation is absolutely essential. She is doubtlessly the most respected and revered woman of all of history. What a blessing that she had. What a reward she received. And then her legacy in verse 46, it says to us this. It says, and Mary said, my soul doth magnify the Lord. And my spirit hath rejoiced in God my salvation. For he hath regarded the low estate of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. 
Don't think that being a great servant of God always involves amazing spiritual things that you do in front of large crowds of people. Mary's greatness was in the privacy of her home, being a mother. In the daily routine of raising her children to know and to love their God. In that ordinary, everyday role, she faced the great challenges of her life. But she was faithful. She was faithful. And her legacy? It was her son. Her son, the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a third woman that I want to mention, a wise woman that's given to us. And that is a woman by the name of Anna. Anna was faithful through great loss. She was faithful through great loss. Elizabeth was faithful through great disappointment. Mary was faithful through great challenges. Anna was faithful through great loss. Listen to her short story. Look at chapter 2 of Luke and verse 36. In chapter 2 and verse 36, it says, There was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. And she was of great age, so she's up in years now. She had lived with an husband seven years from her virginity. And she was a widow of about fourscore and four years, which departed not from the temple, but but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And she, coming in that instant, gave thanks likewise unto the Lord, and spake of him to all them that looked for the redemption at Jerusalem. Like the other two wise women, Anna experienced heartache. Notice her loss with me, if you would. She and her husband had enjoyed seven years of marriage, and then he died. I'm guessing that she was no more than 24 years of age when her husband died. When baby Jesus was brought into the temple, she had been there for probably 60 years, losing your mate and then living alone for 60 years. It's not a unique heartache. There are more than 11 million widows in the United States of America, and many of them understand the loneliness and the fading memories and the difficulties that they have to face, and Anna did that as well. Her loss. Notice also her loneliness. For 60 years she had lived alone. The temple was her home. That's where she stayed. She knew what it was like to be surrounded with lots of people. Many came to the temple. But she was not in close relationship with any of them. The temple was not exactly a warm, cozy cozy place to live in. It was huge. It was not a hotel. Where did she stay in the temple? Where did she sleep? She was 84 years old, and still at 84 years of age, she's still serving God. That means there's still hope for some of you, still serving the Lord. She never stopped for 60 years. Notice her faithfulness. For all those years, apparently nothing out of the ordinary happened in her life until she sees Jesus. She just worshiped God and prayed and fasted. Some people would say, well, that's a boring life. She worshiped, she fasted, she prayed every day for 22,000 consecutive days. 
The only variety was when occasionally God gave her a prophetic message to deliver to the crowds that visited the temple. You talk about faithfulness. Faithful. Have you noticed a familiar theme with each of these three women? Each of them exhibited extraordinary faithfulness in the ordinary routine of life in spite of great hardship that they went through. And then notice her reward. She was one of the first to announce the birthday of the Redeemer of the world. Her mention in the Bible secures the fame and the honor for all time because she was faithful to her Lord. And then her legacy, like the other women we've highlighted from this Christmas story, her wisdom is demonstrated in two things. First of all, her faith in Jesus Christ as the Savior of the world. And secondly, her faithfulness to God in her ordinary routine of life, even in the midst of hardship. Are we faithful to the Lord even when tough times come? In the difficult times? Would you say tonight, you are a wise woman or you are a wise man? It doesn't matter what else you have to do. If you do not do those two things, if you do not have faith in Jesus Christ as the Savior of the world, and if you are not faithful to God in the primary, ordinary routine of life in spite of hardships, you will not have wisdom and you will not be greatly blessed by God. So these three women, Elizabeth, she was faithful through great disappointment. Mary, she was faithful through great challenges. Anna, she was faithful through great loss. So as we come to the close of our service tonight, let me talk about for just a moment this faith in Jesus as Savior of the world. Christmas is all about Jesus coming as our Savior. His name shall be called Jesus, the Bible says, for he shall save his people from their sin. He came to save us. Isn't it amazing? God so loved the world. He came for all the world, not just for a few of us, not just for the good people. In fact, he said he didn't come to call the righteous to repentance. He came to call sinners. And he came for you and he came for me. Because without the Savior, we have no hope. When we leave this world, if we don't have the Savior of the world that came at Christmas, and then went to the old rugged cross. If we don't have the Savior, when we leave this world, there's only two places we'll go, heaven or hell. If we don't have the Savior, it's hell for all of eternity. Just as Lazarus and the rich man in Luke died, and the, that rich man, the Bible says, he opened his eyes being in torment. Lazarus opened his eyes in the presence of the Lord. In fact, the Bible says the angels came and carried him into Abraham's bosom. And when you know the Lord is your Savior, when you close your eyes in death, God sends his angels to usher you into the presence of the Lord. And when you get there, it's not a surprise to God. It was his plan all along because he numbers our days and he knows exactly when you're coming. And I think when we get there, he says, I've been expecting you. Welcome to his home. But only if you know the Savior. You've not come to a point in your life where you recognize you were a sinner having broken God's laws and disobeyed his commands and in need of a Savior who 
who, who shed his blood on the cross at Calvary to pay for your sin and for my sin. When I understand that, I ask him into my heart and life to be my Savior, to take away my sins, to forgive me, to come into my heart and life. He comes in and saves me, makes me a child of God, and I have the wonderful privilege of living a faithful life like Elizabeth and Mary and Anna. Would you bow your heads together with me in prayer? Lord, thank you so much for our Savior. And thank you for the example of these faithful women. We talk about the wise men. There are many great men throughout Scripture who are greatly used of you, but here are three women who were faithful. In the midst of challenges and hardship and loss, they stayed faithful to you. May we one day stand before you and hear you say, Well done, thou good and faithful child. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed for just a moment, I wonder how many of you here tonight can say, Preacher, there's been a time in my life when I recognized that I was a lost sinner and needed a Savior. I realized that if I died in my sin, I would spend eternity in hell. But I understood that Jesus Christ died on the cross and paid my hell for me so I'd never have to go there. I invited him into my heart and life, and he saved me, and I became a child of God. If I die tonight, before I get home from this service, if I, God forbid, if I should die, I'll be with the Lord in heaven because I am one of his children. I know He's my Savior and my Lord. If you know that for sure, would you just raise your hand as a testimony of that fact? I know He's my Savior. I've trusted Him, given my life to Him. I know He's my Savior. God bless you. You may put your hands down. Not everyone could raise their hand, and I would not embarrass you in any way. But I would like to pray for you if you would allow me to do so. I wonder if there's someone here tonight that would say, Preacher, I don't know that for sure. I'd like to know that. Would you pray for me that I too will know, not hope or think, but I'll know, not pride, arrogant, boastful. I want assurance. The Lord said, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know that ye have eternal life. Preacher, I don't know that, but I would like to know that. Would you pray for me tonight? Would you just lift up your hand and put it back down and let me pray for you tonight? Anybody here today? I don't know for sure, preacher, but I'd like to know that. Would you pray for me tonight? Anyone? Just lift it up right where you are and let me pray for you. I wonder how many of you here and you say, Preacher, I do know the Lord. But I'm not really living for him like I ought to. I've not been faithful like these three ladies. There's some things in my life I need to get straightened out between me and the Lord. If I stood before him tonight, I'd be embarrassed and ashamed. Preacher, there's some things I need to make right with God. I know I'm saved. I know I'm going to heaven. But would you pray for me that I'll get those things right with the Lord and not face him embarrassed and ashamed? Pray for me tonight. Would you just lift your hand up and let me pray for you? God bless you. Yes, God bless you. Yes, God bless you. Yes, God bless you. Anyone else? Just slip it up right where you are. God bless you. Lord, you know our hearts. 
And our purpose tonight is not to put anybody on the spot or embarrass anybody. It's simply to say that we love you. And we don't want to see anybody spend eternity in hell. We don't want to see any Christian who's out of fellowship with God. We want to challenge and encourage each one to come to know the Lord as their Savior and then to be faithful in their walk with you in the ordinary, everyday steps of life just to be faithful to you. So help these who have lifted their hands tonight. Give them a special portion of your grace. Would you help them to make things right in their life and to get back in fellowship with you so they can have the joy of the Lord in their heart and life. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.